Welcome to Portraits of Honor. We stand in the swiftly fading shadow of our World War II veterans and heroes who united for a single purpose, to honor life, liberty, and justice for all. They were soldiers and sailors, airmen and mechanics, nurses and pilots, radio operators, ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Our mission is to preserve their stories, to bring their experiences to life for a new generation. This is our tribute, our act of honor. Through their words, we explore the essence of honor and remember the sacrifices that were made. For just the cost of a cup of coffee each month, you can help us preserve their stories. Visit portraitsofhonor.com to learn more. Join us as we journey back in time, as we listen, learn, and remember. This is Portraits of Honor. Let the stories of these heroes begin. Get ready for a thrilling journey as we chat with Clarence Emil Bud Anderson, the highest scoring living American fighter ace and World War II triple ace. From his first combat tours to innovative flight test programs, Bud's extraordinary aviation career spans over 130 different aircraft types and 7,500 flying hours. We delve into his action-packed dogfights, his survival strategies, and the accolades he earned. Now at 101, Bud continues to inspire and captivate with his remarkable stories of skill, technique, and patience in the skies. This interview was recorded on March 25th, 2023 in Auburn, California. What's your full name? Clarence E. Bud Anderson. Okay. What's your birth date? My, my birthday is uh, January 13th, 1922. Okay. Where were you born? I was born in Oakland in the hospital, which was a convenience for my grandmother, or for, for my mother. Her grandmother lived there and uh, we had no hospitals around here. Okay. So then I immediately came to a farm three miles south of Newcastle, and that's where I was raised. Well, that's not far from here at all, right? Seven miles. <laughs> and so 101 years later, you're almost the same place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so where, where did you go to school there? I went to Newcastle okay. for grammar school. Yeah. And then Auburn for high school, Placer Union High School. Did you have any siblings? I have a sister and then later on a, another brother. And I had a half brother, but he passed away. And so my sister's gone now too. Okay. And um, I'm gonna jump right into Okay. Your flying career, what made you want to fly? A strong desire. I don't know where it came from. Little airplanes used to fly over the area quite often. Yeah. And I had a buddy in Loomis, and we, we used to do the spotter thing. You know, we'd spot the airplanes and identify them, and then later check our logbooks and see if they match. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you remember how old you were then? God, 
Probably 12, yeah. 13, something like that. Very good. Earlier. <laughs> I don't really know when, but it was early. Um, what were you doing when uh, America entered the, the war? Were you still in high school then? Or? Well, I, I planned to join the service so I could fly. Not so I could go to the war or not so I could go in the service. I was going to the service so I could fly. And uh, I'd already more or less passed the test. You know, I went to the recruiter and took a medical. The big thing was the medical so you could fly. And I didn't want to sign anything until they told me I could fly. So um, I did that the final year of my high school. No, second year of college. And I got to fly while I, during my second year, okay. through a different program, I got a private pilot's license. Oh, good. Uh, and so I was set, I was going to join, no question about it. You know, I passed the physical, I'd done everything. And last course I took at college was a, um, it was a technical school and uh, I learned to be a, a mechanic aircraft mechanic. That would be my backup plan if I couldn't go fly. So uh, our whole class uh, was hired by the Sacramento Air Depot, which was building up in Sacramento, and they'd hire anybody that could turn a wrench and train them themselves. And they hired our whole class because uh, we were, you know, together and timely and they were just hiring everybody. And we were working 24-7, preparing airplanes to uh, go where, you know, go to the war. Yeah. And I can remember it was Sunday, uh, December 6th, 1942. December 7th, 41. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. I'm 101, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> you got to give me a few. So anyway, uh, the Japs attacked us at Pearl Harbor. Foreman brought us in Sunday, and we were working 24-7, so they told uh, us uh, youngsters to go home and come back at midnight. We'd just gotten off of that oh, okay. in the summer. And so the next month, I, I was still 19. I had to be 20. I had to have two years of college. Yeah, yeah. That, that was that was it. 20 was the uh, age they wanted us to come. And so uh, next month, uh, January, I went right there to the recruiting station at uh, McClellan and raised my right hand. A few days, days, couple days later, I was gone. Started my 30-year career. 30 years, wow. And uh, so after you, I'm gonna skip ahead of your training. You were with the, uh, was it 357th? Correct. Fighter group? Correct. And so where did they send you at that point when you were connected with them? Okay, actually I came to uh, Hamilton Field 
right out of flying school. And that was our, my check out and uh, preparation for war. Normally you went to this uh, pilot training group, got checked out and went to the war somewhere. But in my case, the, uh, we were there and he said, oh no, wait a minute. You, 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 Bud Anderson, you're all going to Tonopah, Nevada and join a brand new fighter group being activated for World War II. It was a great, great break for me because I'd be the first one and the very first one in the in, into the group and squadron. And it'd be good for promotion and all this stuff, you know. Uh, but the best thing it was, it gave me another training cycle, another three or four months. And generally speaking, uh, the more flying time you have, the better pilot you are. So uh, then I went to war after joining the 363rd Squadron of the 357th Fighter Group. And from there, later on, we went to New York, jumped on Queen Mary and, and vacationed on our way over to <laughs> Mary England. Got yeah. over there at night, found out what night blackouts were, and, but, but, but we moved right on out, got on a train and went to Southern England and changed our base once before we actually went into war. We got transferred to the 8th Air Force. Okay. And, uh, we were the second combat unit to get the P-51 Bravo. B model with a Merlin engine. Yeah. Started flying well. I flew my flew two tours while I was with that group. And yeah, how many missions total? Uh, uh, I, think I heard like 100 and yeah, 116. Like I think it was and uh, 480 hours of combat. Actually, it was kind of all done by flying time. Yeah. I think it was 850 hours, could that be? Yeah, guess it could. The second tour was the same, but you didn't have to, you could quit at any time you wanted. Uh, the story we're trying to lead up to is uh, as the story goes, uh, Bud Anderson flew the entire combat career in World War II without any major damage from aerial, from the enemy, in any, in any respect. And that's remarkable. <laughs> from the air or the ground. Yeah. And so, uh, as it turns out, I did get hit once. Didn't know it. Tell me about that. <laughs> uh, I came back from a mission. My crew chief is, you know, they all want to know what happened, what happened, and is the airplane okay? 
Yeah, it's 100%. Uh, uh, get her fixed up for, for the next mission. Mm -hmm. I went into uh, operations and I was the operations officer and I rescheduled myself to uh, fly uh, the next mission. And I went out there in the morning and climbed over the revetment. My airplane was sitting there all shiny, ready to go. And a crew chief came over and said, hey, come here, I wanna show you something. You know, we've never been hit before, but look what I found. <laughs> and he, and he uh, takes me over under the left wing, shows me this uh, hole going through the casting. So um, far away or weak when it hit that it didn't go all the way through. And, uh, and he showed me how they repaired it. They was so small that he actually took a, a British pound of British coin oh, yeah. in there for repair, <laughs> filed it all off the clean. Hey, there you are. <laughs> Uh, and it was the best way to do it, you know. Uh, I guess they could have crammed aluminum in there, but... Uh, so I recall on the, that mission where we got the one hit, and we were through and we were coming out. We dropped our bombs and we were on the way home and we're seeing, oh, hey, there's a little town down there, and there's a little trickle of steam coming out the mm -hmm. top and a train trying to hide oh, okay. uh, during the, you know, the, the busy time. Uh, okay, yep, sure enough it was. So we, uh, we, we strafed it, you know, I got it, this thing to explode and put a lot of holes, steam holes in it and went on home. And uh, somewhere during that time, Somebody hit me with a rifle or something, some low-powered. Yeah, uh, from the ground. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's Bud Anderson's only one, hit. One hit. One hit from enemy action. <laughs> well, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Now, we all know you're uh, a triple ace. That means, how, how many actual? Uh, you gotta have, you'd have to have 16. Five, five makes you an ace. So I had 16 and a quarter kills. Okay. Uh, a quarter kill, well, we'll, we'll get into that later. It was a shared kill, that's all that means. Okay. Lisa and I were wondering earlier, before we got here, how do you confirm a kill if, for instance, if nobody else saw it? Yeah, a camera. Okay. And a Gun wingman. Camera. And it did have to be confirmed one way or the other eyewitness or, uh, you know, camera. I forgot about the camera. Yeah, they weren't real good. They were real fuzzy. Not like today. Yeah, or we didn't know how to put the right exposure in it for, you know, I mean, it was set once. Yeah. And it had to cover the whole range of the missions. Different lighting, different. Yeah situations. Can you, I know you've told these stories many times, but can you tell a little bit about first plane you shot down? Oh yeah, that was, 
that's a humorous one. Takes up a little time if you want to hear it all. You, you can uh, tell me whatever <laughs> you want to tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, no use telling it unless you tell it all. Okay. <laughs> uh, our our uh, squadron was getting, guys were starting to get the hits and getting killed, but I hadn't gotten one. This is my first. I hadn't gotten one yet, and I was pretty upset because I was one of the senior flight leaders, and your, your flight leaders are the ones that are supposed to get get the guys involved in combat. And so you're the first one on the front, so you should certainly be the first one to shoot. Yeah. So we were coming home, my flight, another flight, joined me from a different squadron. Uh, and we were heading home. We'd been relieved and uh, on the way home. I'm cruising along and I see this B-17 up ahead, lower than I am. And he's smoking, has one feathered. Say, this guy's in big trouble. He's trying to get out to the, at least to the water. And I said, okay, guys, let's let's go over there and um, take our take our uh, big friend home. So we we rolled out and was flying over there. We'd already dropped our tanks. We were ready for combat. We still had lots of fuel. And over here comes three ME109s, and they're belly up to us as they're, you know, as they're turning to go down there. They're, they're on their way down to attack that okay. B-17. Yeah. So they're bellied up, turned to us, didn't see us, obviously, or two flights of Mustangs. <laughs> and so I said, all right, guys, one of those is mine. <laughs> and I'm leading the whole pack. <laughs> so uh, I get over there and and uh, we're down low. Mustang, uh, measurement with a good pilot can give a Mustang a hard time. I learned after the war. Well, I learned the hard way too. Uh, so I cut him off at the pass and we're, we're, we're in a circle, so, you know, like this. But it's not a concentric, nice, even circle. It's uh, he's even getting, a, you know, a high angle shot at me, and uh, or tried is trying to. So uh, finally, I said, "God darn, why can't I get on this guy's tail?" I said, "I was getting tired of this high angle stuff with no way, with no way to shoot accurately." So I said, well, I'd been through three gunnery schools and I knew how to shoot. I'd shot quail as a kid and uh, enjoyed that part of, of, of the flying as well as, as uh, shooting. Mm -hmm. And so I say, well, next time you come around, I know what I'm going to do. I say, I'm going to pull through him, you know, as steady as I can through his flight path and pull there where I wouldn't be able to see him. He'll be 
uh, under my belly. Yeah. Out here, pull through. Say the lead would be like this. I would pull through ahead of that very steadily. Fire a long burst. Well, not too long. Just maybe a little longer than a normal burst. And then let him come flying out and see if I hit him. So he comes flying out of my into my eyesight and hot dog, he's streaming, cooling as badly and he pulls up like that, rolls over and bails out. Hot dog, I know I got my first one. And I'm, I'm patting myself on the back and I'm, then I had a strange feeling. Whoa, Jesus. I had a guy had pulled up right on my wing, close formation. And I look over there, he had his mask off, we were down low. And he was grinning and I, the best thing I could tell, he was cheering me, you know, I thought. Yeah. He, he came up close like this and and gave me, you know, there. Good job. Then pulled off like that. And uh, didn't say anything on the radio. So I'm thinking for a minute now. Wait a minute. I just had the luckiest shot in the world. And then right after that, this guy's right here under my wing. Did he shoot that guy, that airplane down, or did I? Uh, by the time I got a couple hours to go home flying, I convinced myself that I probably did not shoot that airplane down. It was probably Johnny England. That's what his big grin was. And, uh, <laughs> hooray. Oh, uh, okay. And, oh, shoot. So I get home and I make a, I make a claim, but I said, hold it, I've got to go talk to somebody for confirmation. So uh, he was in a different squadron, and so I went to the officer's club where we normally went after a mission. And uh, on the way to the club, I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to bring this up? Am I going to say, hey, Johnny, did you shoot that thing down from me? Or, you know, or I said, stronger words than that, but... I was thinking, well, I guess that's what I'll have to do. And we go into the club, and I go, we go into a bar, and he's the first one I see. And he spots me over there, and he comes running over to me. He says, God damn, Andy. He says, that's the best shot I've ever seen. You got that sucker out there about 60 degrees angle off. <laughs> Very lucky shot for a uh, fixed fixed gun wow. and uh, <laughs> he, he was you worried about nothing <laughs> yeah my worries are over and uh, so then I, as soon as I could disconnect I went over to the telephone and claimed my first victory <laughs> he was so happy for you <laughs> yeah he was <laughs> we um, were pretty competitive I met another P-51 pilot a couple of years ago, um, I can't think of, can't remember what fighter group he was with. Yeah. His name was Earl Miller. 
in England? Yeah. Yeah. And he told me over lunch a little about his first first hit, first kill. And he said he could see the 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 German pilot pretty clearly, kind of put his face in his hands and right before he went down. He said it really bothered him for a about a week. <laughs> And he said after that. <laughs> maybe after that, he, he maybe, maybe a few milliseconds. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few milliseconds. Huh? <laughs> I guess it's, it's different for everybody, but. Uh, oh, he saw the saw the guy. Yeah. He knew he was going to die. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it didn't bother him long. Maybe a week. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta. That's about right. You gotta. Get back in there and do it. Do what you have to do. Yeah. You sound like a gentleman who knew how to plan ahead. And, <laughs> you know, you had your backup plan Bs and and. Oh yeah. Before. So. Now uh, you take a dog fight. Somebody says, "What's a typical dog fight like? You know, what's it like? What's yeah. it like to be in combat?" Yeah. Oh God. If you got an hour, I'll tell you, if you listen. But uh, it's like a, a poker game. There is no typical. You're playing poker, you deal. Each each time you play, that's a new dogfight. Yeah. That's a new situation. Yeah. You get what you have in your hand, and you've got to play it. And... Uh, no two are alike. Yeah, but uh, you know, I can. I probably ought to tell you my one of my best dog fights. Best from the standpoint that I enjoyed the combat. Well, I don't like to say that, but I guess it's uh, pretty close to being true. I, I enjoyed combat and. Uh, a typical, not a typical one, but, a, but the, the, one of the two good dog fights I really had. Yes, a lot of them were just go down and get on his tail and, and, and they're done. Uh, very few you have that are round, round in a dog fight, you know, where each one has a chance. Uh, I had a couple of those. And one really kind of good good one was uh, we were on this long, deep mission into Germany way back. I think we were almost, I think the target for the bombers was in Poland. That's a long way from home. And we got in there and we heard that... Uh, that uh, there were dog fighting up up front, being they were being attacked up front. So uh, we dropped our tanks and went scooting along. Up, up, we'd already dropped our tanks, I think, uh, heading for the front, see what the hell was going on, so we could get in it. We got up there and we found here was the uh, 104s making 109s making head-on passes at the with the bombers. 
and we got up there in time to see four of them come through flying beautiful wingtip to wingtip formation and B-17s here they're coming right in in here fire 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 go through and knocked out two B-17s the first pass and they were brave enough that they were going to go right around and come back up front and make another attack. Yeah. Or let's say there was no resistance up front. <laughs> I don't think there were, uh, uh, if they'd have known where we were, maybe they would not have uh, done what they did. But anyway, we come off of the pass and I get the leader and the leader against leader. And we start this dogfight right there, you know, out in front of the of the B-17 flight path. And here's here's us. Here 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 the Germans are going head on. Here we are turned inside of them. So that makes us go in the same direction they are. We're far enough away that we get engaged, you know. And we're standing here going around, not moving, you know, not moving. We're just doing this in one spot. B-17s are right out here, and they are coming, coming, coming. And we're, we're just, we're right here in this. You get the idea? Yeah, yeah. And uh, pretty soon I can see, hey, these B-17s look awful close. You know, and I, said, I hope the guy chickens out before I do, because that'll put me in charge. But we're we're just we're in a dogfight, you know, to, nose to tail, going around and around. Nobody got a shot in yet. Uh, then the, these B-17s look awful close, and I'm pretty soon I can make out the features on them, the windshield, and you know, see the engines and yeah pretty close yeah or you make out things and uh sure enough he chickens out he goes down and uh we left the bombers and i i first because he went first like i'm second so i'm right i'm on his tail now but he's way ahead of me we're going down, 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 down. We go down about 5,000 feet. And uh, I see him uh, way ahead of me. And he makes, uh, he's, he's making a turn. He's going to come back and shoot at me head on. And I see him do this. Holy Christ, if I don't do something real quick, uh, he'll get a shot at me. <laughs> So before he could get his guns right up on me, I, I, I'd been through several gunnery, gunnery schools, uh, and I was good at shooting. I shot quail with a uh, 12-gauge, and that's sort of the same idea. You follow the quail, get the lead, and fire a, a burst <laughs> mm -hmm. of, of, you know, a fine shell. And so, uh, let's see, I got I got my hundred years is, <laughs> is getting with me again. 
So I'd already broke off a commend and a dive, and no, I'm chasing this guy that's going down, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He turns back I, to you, and he's and he's just about turned back to me, and I, I say, "Oh Christ, I gotta get that, get on him." So I I pull this. Oh, meanwhile, in this dogfight. And this is pretty important. It's part of the things that you got critical. It's a situational awareness. All the time, you got to know what's going on in the big picture, everything. Yeah. And I thought, oh, geez, I saw a shadow on the ground. But I didn't have time to check it out, you know. I, uh, he was far enough away. He's down low, really low. And uh, so uh, I get on this uh, guy's the fighter's tail, got on him, shot him down. And then I call my guys together and I said, hey, uh, anybody see anything else around? A shadow or an airplane? I think it's an airplane. I, I pretty well knew it was an airplane. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, 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 I hadn't seen him, so I said, okay, get in here. And I was 5,000, down low, still low, because it was a shadow, you know. And sure enough, I flew for five, five, six, seven minutes, and I see the shadow again before I could see the airplane. If it had been a cloudy day, I never would have seen this guy. And so I said, oh, gee. It was a Heinkel, uh, or a Battle of Britain bomber. I forgot the damn name. Uh, Heinkel 111. Okay. Yeah. Heinkel 111 bomber. Uh, used extensively in. Um, Battle Britain, World War II. And so, what's he doing? Oh, I guess he's now a transport or something because he's all alone. He's deep in Germany and uh, he's in trouble. <laughs> uh, so, I'm thinking, Jesus, here's a shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. Another kill. I, easy another kill and then we're going up there to, to get get after him and i'm thinking you know my guys don't get to shoot very much when they're flying with me uh wingman uh stuff like that so i said okay guys get into practice guttery formation and you <laughs> These guys flew with me all the time, and this is a standard tactic of what they're going to do. They knew what that meant. That meant they're going to get to shoot. And they almost were collided getting into formation. <laughs> and and uh, so we get over there, the guy's real low, trying to stay low, hide, and uh, we got him. There's nobody else around. So when you're practicing gunnery to get the most shots out of a mission, 
you uh, line up in the echelon, your target's down here going along like this, and you, you uh, one goes in, shoots, goes over to the uh, perch on the other side, okay. two comes in, gets, gets in line, and then they, with, if nobody shot him down yet, he would go back for a second pass, and you you get see you get in four, eight passes really efficiently, and so it's very good for training that that setup. I go in, I get, I hit him. He's really low. He's now coming in to a big fence in the forest, not a fence, a big flat area in the forest. And he's at the, you know, over the, over the trees on the, on the, on the final approach, <laughs> right. uh, real close to the ground. And uh, I got an engine on, uh, smoking or on fire, pull off, Watch my whole flight go through and make it, uh, make a pass while he's crash landing. By the time I come around to make my second pass, the guy is he's hit something really hard, you know, like a rocks or something that uh, broke broke the engine and the left wing separated and this skid the, the fuselage skidded around so it's sort of like this the uh, engine and the wing there and yeah. and just separated like that and they're sitting facing each other <laughs> and there there was two guys that whether well, we kill the gunner or we silenced the gunner and they uh but two guys got out of the airplane. And uh, this one guy, probably the left seater, oh, I don't know that, <laughs> but he was just standing there, getting, got away from the fire, and he's standing there, hands on his hips, looking up, angry. Oh, angry bumblebees going around, mustangs. And the second guy is taking it, is running, running. And there's no place to, there's no place to close. There's not a tree within three or four miles and no bushes, no rocks, no caves. This guy's just running, 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 running. I say, you dumbass. <laughs> I'm gonna give you a thrill. So I peeled off on him. And uh, like I was gonna make a pass, you know, I just went right over the top of him as low as I could go. And I pulled up and did a big roll. <laughs> and then headed back towards home. Uh, I, th I bet that was a thrill. I'm sorry? I bet that was a thrill yeah. coming in that low. 
It would have been murder, and we didn't we didn't shoot them in parachutes and yeah. uh, stuff like that. I don't know. It just it was dumb, but we didn't do it. I mean, my particular flight. Yeah. I only know of uh, one other time that a guy shot the Germans in a parachute and uh, he did it because he saw the German doing it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's the way he came up upon him. He was shooting B-17 shoots. So he got over and got on his tail and flew with him a little bit, like playing with, <laughs> like a cat playing with a mouse. And Oh, let's see. I'm, I'm gonna ask you, I'll ask you one more. Thing. Sure. And then we'll just kind of wrap it up or I could talk to you all day, but <laughs> I won't do that to you. Um, I was thinking of this earlier is, what do you attribute to making it through all those missions? No, no damage, no injuries for yourself. Well, I think, uh... World War II uh, combat pilots, uh, the ones that finished their tours, go one more step, finished their tours very successfully, uh, were motivated, highly motivated uh, to, to fight and win. Whereas I don't, I'm not sure all uh, German pilots and U.S. or Allied pilots all felt the same way. I'm not sure, but the the motivated ones are the ones that survived. This podcast is a charitable supported public service. To learn more about the veteran featured on this podcast, please go to portraitsofhonor.com. There you'll find more stories, portraits, and ways to be part of this act of honor. Every day, a few hundred World War II veterans pass away, and soon they'll all be gone. For the cost of a few cups of coffee each month, you can help us support the mission to give all these deserving veterans their portrait of honor and record and memorialize their stories forever. Please go to portraitsofhonor.com today to make your donation and show your support. Leave us a review and share this episode. By remembering the past, we can inspire a better future. Join us next time on Portraits of Honor.